Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast from Sports Illustrated Husky Maven Channel. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me is Ryan Abraham. He's the 247... Publisher, you go publisher. Oh, my pleasure, Trevor. Yeah, uscfootball.com, but that's... That's what it is. 24-7 sports, like that's where... We're the USC people for that, and I, I publish the site, yeah. Awesome, and they also have a great podcast, the Podcast of Champions, that he does with David Woods. And they do talk about more than just Southern California football. So uh, it's a great site. It's a great place to go. Thanks. Yeah, we try. It's like, I mean, the power of the Pac-12 is the Pacific Northwest right now. So you can't, obviously can't ignore that. We're both LA guys, but, you know, we know that the best, but we try to get correspondents from everywhere, you know, around helping us out, like, you know, sharing what they know about the different, different uh, programs out there. Awesome. Well, um, you know, maybe some of that power is shifting back down to the South. Uh, USC seems like they're starting to figure some things out, uh, not only finding Keaton Slovis, but some of the hires that uh, the, the assistant hires that Helton or the brass have made uh, has led to uh, so far a really, really good 2021 class. Where it, what is the state of the program down there in Troy right now? Yes, I mean, it's a good question. I think it was definitely on a downturn uh, for a while. I mean, they, Clay Helton got an extension from then athletic director Lynn Swan in the beginning of 2018, and that was after they won the Pac-12 in 2017, but didn't look good against Notre Dame, got beat pretty bad by Ohio State, and then turned around and go 5-7 and seven, uh, the next year. And it was definitely a down part for the program. The following recruiting class in 2020 was the worst we'd ever seen. You know, the, the, the previous class, the class that's coming in right now. And, you know, just getting an eight-win season or whatever, they just not living up to the kind of talent that's on this team. It's still probably the most talented roster in the Pac-12. Oregon's recruiting at a high level, and they, you could, you know, you could argue there. But, you know, USC's talent-wise, they shouldn't have been five and seven or eight and four or anything like that. They, he was forced to make some changes. Clay Helton, they have a new administration coming in. Mike Bone's actually been an athletic director as opposed to, Lynn Swan, Pat Hayden, Mike Garrett, that were all former football players. They've shifted now to someone that's running the department in a better, you know, more efficient way. You're talking about these athletic budgets, Trevor. You know they're over $100 million. You can't just have a figurehead doing it. You need someone that knows athletic administration. I think they found that in Mike Bone. But it came into a lot – there's a lot of problems that need to be fixed around USC, as you know. There's just – there's been issues. One of the problems was the coaching staff. I think they did a good job addressing that. The whole defensive staff is gone, and they replaced them with Todd Orlando and a bunch of guys. And I've, I've really enjoyed talking to them and kind of getting to know uh, who they are. They're recruiting, like you mentioned, at a much higher level. You know recruiting is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year uh, deal. And the, the previous staff was more of a part-time recruiter. You know, they, that was their philosophy. And you just can't do that. This isn't the NFL. You have to be out there on the road all the time. And no one knew what to do during the pandemic as far as this extended dead period. They recruited really well during that, so you got to give them props. And the only thing we haven't got to see is in the spring, you wanted to see what this new defense was going to look like. And obviously with spring football mostly being canceled, we didn't get an opportunity. But they're going to be one of the favorites. They bring back like 85% of their production on both sides of the ball. I think they're going to be better on special teams. But now you don't really – we're not going to know too much unless, you know, unless we get a season. We'll see, but – it's on an upward trajectory. Fans still aren't real happy because they're not happy with Clay Helton, but they've made some, I think, some necessary changes to get them back on the track that they would like to be on. You know, it's so interesting because you think of 
all the success they had in the Pete Carroll era, and they kept going back to that well with the coordinators, whether it was Sarkeesian or um, Lane Kiffin, and then even going back farther to to a Lynn Swan, who was probably great when it came to relations and, and fundraising efforts, but the nitty gritty of being an athletic director, which he had never done before, probably just, he probably wasn't ready for that high of a position, right? No, he was, I mean, Pat Hayden was one thing, like he's like a road scholar. Sure. He was around the football program. You could argue it would make sense, but he's never run a company. They were on boards and charities and things. Lynn Swan was the same way. He had like a failed run, you know, for the governor of Pennsylvania, but he was basically like living in his basement in Pennsylvania. He wasn't around the USC football program at all. And you would think the reason he was hired because he could fundraise. He just wasn't very good with – he didn't want to talk to people. He never talked to the media. It wasn't like – maybe like big boosters he would talk to, but it wasn't like he was engaging with, you know, guy that has like a $2,000 a year scholarship committee thing or whatever. Like he wasn't relating to those people at all. So it was just – and they hired a, a, a search firm, like Corn Ferry. Like they had a search firm to find him, like, this is the guy you found. So some of that stuff is weird. That's, that was USC's just kind of arrogance, I guess you could say, about we could just hire anybody. And for Pete Carroll, they had horrible facilities. Um, there was a lot of issues with the program, but you get the right coach. There's great advantages to being at USC, all the talent around there. So all you got to do is not screw it up, and you're going to be pretty good. They did a, I mean, they've screwed it up lately. So now they're hoping to try to get back to it. Um, but sometimes they were winning, like, despite a lot of the issues that were in the athletic department. And I think five and seven was sort of like everything came to a head. Like, look, you can't just show up and be USC and win. You actually have to try at certain things. And they weren't doing that for a while. Yeah, and I wonder if some of that is the fact that, look, we're USC. We're in the middle of one of the best hotbeds of recruiting in the nation. Um, we can, Most kids in that area grow up wanting to be a Trojan. And, you know, they're a private school where they're able to maybe get away with somebody like a swan where uh, there's just so much private money coming in already that uh, they can hire somebody with some name recognition other than, you know, an AD who might not be known by a casual fan. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of it, too. There were some big boosters, I believe, involved where they wanted to get someone that they knew and then. And some of it, too, is there was a lot of control issues. With, even with Pete Carroll, he ran the show. You know, like Nick Saban is the most powerful guy at Alabama. It's not the athletic director. Uh, it's, it's Nick Saban. You know, Dabo Sweetie. And it was like that at USC. And I feel like the powers that be at USC were like, we don't want to give out that control. We'd like to win, but we're not going to do it by giving all this control to, like, an Uber coach. And so they get, they've hired people that were, like, didn't know what they were doing. They would come in and go, hey, how do you guys do things? And they would tell you, here's how we do things. Now, the problem is the way they were doing things was pretty messed up. And they knew if you hired like a real athletic director that came in, he would go walk around and go, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. Never do that again. They didn't want, I think they didn't want to hear that. You know what I mean? So let's get people that are just names that are just to ask us how we do things as opposed to. Hire someone that's actually good. This is what I advocate for. Like, you're going to hire somebody. Hire someone that's done that job before and is good at it. Like, that's all you got to do. Don't, like, I'm speculating that this guy could be really great at that. Maybe. But you're USC. You don't need to do that for your athletic exactly. director. 
Yeah, you know, if you're good, you hire get someone good. Yeah. I, I, it's funny, the end of Pete Carroll's era, too, some of it's ego. You know, he, he didn't get along with Norm Chow. People were giving Norm Chow credit. And sometimes, like, you give credit to a Nick Saban who can replace top coordinators that go on to become head coaches in your league and still win. That's what's hard. I think Pete Carroll, he was trying to replace people with, instead of going out and hiring the best, oh, we lost the running back coach. Go get the best one you can find. He would promote a graduate assistant and, sh- and like create his own tree. And sometimes that works, but sometimes you just have to go out and get somebody that's good at their job. And some of that's ego too. And every, I mean, obviously coaches have egos. Some of it, it works, some of it doesn't. And I, you know, for a guy like Saban, you give him credit for being able to replace guys year after year and still win at a really high level. Awesome. Yeah. So let's kind of shift our focus down to this year, whenever that happens to start, whether that's in the fall or the spring or the fall of 2021. But um, so we kind of, we talked about where the coaching staff stands. Uh, it's not a secret that Clay Allen's been on a really hot seat for a while. Um, where do you, can you take his temperature right now? Where, where is he right now? You know, for Clay Allen, it's the, the hard part is he's one of the nicest guys around. It's not a, profession where you get like the nice guy that he's genuinely nice and every assistant coach we talk to just enjoys him as a person and like how straightforward he is and the players like him um it's the fans that don't like him i mean they're they want him to win they just care about winning and losing and we have to interact with him and you know we would get phone calls texts like he's someone that i think cares about the players cares about winning uh has he hasn't won at the high enough uh, high enough level yet for sure but He's someone, I think, that takes the time to go out and, and try to do things the right way. And I feel like he's kept himself above the fray. It's, it's, you know, there's been a lot of people calling for his job. He was fired in the media, I think, last, you know, last year or whatever. It didn't happen. But there's things happening behind the scenes where he's just trying to get this team better. And you're, he's someone you want to root for, you know. If you ask me, like, I wrote a piece that, like, he, probably, he should have been fired. Like, you know, there's – Five and seven is not good enough. And he'll still talk to me and know that I wrote that he shouldn't be there anymore. But, you know, as a person, he's someone that you want to root for. You know, you, you hope that he does well. And it does hurt when some of the fans get really personal about it. And they're like, oh, he can't be a nice guy. Like, well, he is. Uh, I'm not going to argue that he needs to be winning at a higher level than he is now. But you can't – they just want to, like, you know, just say anything bad about him just because they're mad. But he's – I think held himself to a, a good standard throughout this. And I think he's genuinely excited about the team he has coming back. Keen Slow, as you mentioned, the quarterback, the new defensive staff. Um, should he have hired a better staff a couple of years ago? Yeah, probably. And some, I think he's loyal to a fault sometimes where you hire your friends and people that you know. Uh, but I think he's, he's handled this well, but he knows he's got to win. Um, you know, he, he signed that extension a couple of years ago. I think gave him job security that a lot of the fans didn't really uh, feel he deserved, and that's probably another Lin Swan thing that he maybe hired. You know, gave a guy a lot of money that no one else was really coming after him. It was like, wasn't like Washington was coming down to try to hire Clay Helton away or anything. But um, he's got some of that job security. I think that helps, uh, but it might have made him a little complacent too. Now I think he feels it a little more. Get a better staff in. They're recruiting harder. And, you know, we'll see if they are able to show what they have on the, on the football field anytime soon. Like you mentioned, maybe it's next year. But 
hopefully it's this year. And if they get an opportunity, I think they are going to be better. So this might have – all the hot seat stuff might have – pardon the pun, but like lit a fire under him to get more motivated to uh, make this team better. Awesome. So looking at this uh, Keaton Slovis-led offense, what kind of style is the coaching staff trying to run down there with all those really talented pieces all yeah. around? Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Um, so it was – when JT Daniel was there in 2018, we called it the gumbo offense. Like there was Clay Hilton had stuff that he had learned from Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. And he had his brother, Tyson Helton there, and the other quarterback coach. And then he had T Martin involved in becoming the offensive coordinator. And he felt like there was just all these little pieces of this and that. And there wasn't this, it wasn't something you could like teach the players. It was sort of like, you learn a little of this, learn a little of that. And they needed a real scheme. It just wasn't. It just wasn't a good scheme. And anyone that was given JT Daniels crap after, you know, the 2018 season, his freshman season, he would have been as good as Keaton Slow as I, I believe last year if he didn't get hurt. You bring in Graham Harrell, who has a real system. It's one guy running the show. He taught the entire offense in three spring practices. And then what they did was teach it again, like five different times during the spring. They could install it all. And I feel like, the players just like gravitated towards like, oh, this is, it's like simple, but it works. And they could, you know, they're not out there thinking all the time. And, you know, like I said, JT Daniels looked good that first half. And then he ended up getting, you know, blowing out his knee, ending his, you know, now ending his USC career as he's transferred to Georgia. But Keaton Slovis comes in as a three-star true freshman and looks like an All-American after a while. You know, yeah. four, 400 yard games, the game against UCLA, four different receivers caught for over 100 yards. And I, I think they want it to be less of a Mike Leach sort of air raid, more of a – I mean, more of a run-based – you know, they'd like to run the ball 45% of the time. They had all their running backs get hurt last year. They had the quarterback get hurt. I think this year we would have seen more of a balance on offense. They wouldn't have had Slovis had thrown as much as long as the running backs were healthy and stuff. But um, I like the scheme. Just – I mean, if you're going to run the, the wishbone, like, Whatever you're doing, just run it and run it well. And I think that's what they were doing. Like they picked a good offense, but they just they executed and ran it well. And it was something that the players could gravitate towards. It wasn't a little bit of this. You weren't trying to keep everybody happy. You had one guy and one voice. And I think you know, college football is a lot about recruiting, but you need good coaches. Uh, you need people to be able to teach the game. And I think Graham Harrell was able to teach the offense. They got probably the best receiver core in the Pac-12 still. They got a good stable of running backs. There's some questions on the offensive line, but, uh, you know, their left tackle, uh, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, is, he's a stud, he was a stud guard last year. They're going to try him at left tackle. But they should be good. You know, I think this offense is going to be good if we get an opportunity to see it. And year two of a, a better scheme. That was year one. I mean, a lot of times you're like, year one they look that good. Like, they should have been better in year two if we get, if we get an opportunity to see them. Right. And, I mean, that receiving core, I could argue, is one of the best in the country. Um, who are some guys on the offensive side that Husky fans should know about? So, uh, Amon Rossay Brown is probably the most talented guy. You could probably argue on the, on the team. Um, his dad's like a former Mr. Universe. Like, he's a workout feed. He's one of the guys that, you know, during the quarantine stuff, there's guys that are doing push-ups at home, and there's guys that have, like, home gyms. Like, he's one of those. Like, he's still right. got the – he's got the gym. He can do all that stuff. And just uber talented. They play a lot of slot. I think he might move outside. Uh, a little bit this year, but Tyler Vaughn's another stud receiver, former uh, five-star dude. I, you know, I like him a lot. 
running back Marquis Step is a bigger kid. He's going to go into his third year out of – he's out of Indiana. Um, different kind of back than you would normally have in this offense, but they love him. He's probably not going to be a starter, but he ends up being like the workhorse guy. Uh, but they have a good group uh, of backs. And I mentioned Elijah, Elijah Vera Tucker, but watch for uh, Andrew Voorhees coming back. He was injured, and he should be filling in one of those guard spots. And I like Jalen McKenzie a lot at their right tackles. I, I think they're going to be all right uh, on the offensive line. As long as that holds up, the skill guys are really there. And, you know, Slovis is just calm, cool, and collected and, and, and just really accurate. I think he's the most accurate, like, freshman passer in Pac-12 history or something. It's some, he had some crazy stats. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't remember them all. It's been a while since we actually had to talk real football. But, <laughs> right. yeah. but legit, like, legit talent. Someone I, I thought should have been fourth on the depth chart. He ends up being second, and you're like, why did they make him second on the depth chart? JT Downs gets hurt, and then you see why, you know. So he, he's legit. And he got, you know, Kurt Warner was his high school coach. That gets helped a lot, you know, his uh, career. But, you know, for USC, they don't start three-star dudes. Like, every guy they get for quarterback is a four- or five-star guy. He wasn't, but he's turned out to be a, a real special talent. Right, and he was, he was hurt during that Husky game. And I think that was one of the big reasons why USC struggled to score the football. Yeah, Matt, Matt Fink had a great game against Utah and, and beat, you know, a top-ten Utah team. And there was expectation – that was at home, though. There's expectations you go in Seattle and have something similar. And, I mean, he looked like a deer in the headlights. It was not a – it would have been a much more interesting game. I was up there for that one. It would have been a more interesting game if Slovis was uh, available. But, um, yeah, but that was a good – yeah. It would have – I don't know. Washington probably still wins that one, but it, I think it would have been more interesting if uh, Slovis was in there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Washington, they're breaking in a new offensive scheme, so we really don't know what we're going to see. But down there, it's on the defensive end. We're not really sure what USC is, how they're going to run it. Do you have any inclination on uh, what the USC defense will look like whenever the season starts? Yeah, it's, uh, it's fine. So Todd Orlando comes over from Texas, and he was fired by uh, Tom Herman uh, at Texas. But you know, a year or two ago, he was like the hottest, you know, assistant coach out there. And some people, we talked to some people who are like, it's kind of a scapegoat thing. Like Herman's not been living up to the expectations. So you got to make some changes. So USC felt like they, it's like you bought Apple stock on a dip. You felt like, oh, people were down on Orlando, but he's still that guy everyone wanted two years ago or whatever. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does. He calls it like this multiple front. I think the big difference is going to be he's a linebacker guy. He's going to coach the linebackers. I felt like Clancy Pendergast was sort of more of a secondary-focused guy. And they had a really young secondary last year. I thought they played well. But the, they had so much talent at linebacker, and it just felt like a forgotten position. And I think Todd Orlando is going to try to utilize that more. And they, they got a lot of senior talent on the defensive front. I think they can move some guys around. Drake Jackson's a, you know, going to be a true sophomore, an absolute – stud that they it was an Arizona State USC battle till the very end and USC got him and he's made a big difference but you know Pala EA Nojote former five-star linebacker Solomon Tuialapupu from modern day there's a bunch of really big strong fast linebackers that just didn't do much the last couple of years so I think there's good those guys are we're going to see more production on the defensive side of the ball but that there's going to be I think there's going to be disadvantages throughout the Pac-12 like Washington State, Colorado, you got a new coach. You didn't get any spring football. Like, what are you going to do? If you got a new coordinator and you see that, you know, at Washington, you got to learn, you know, teach a new system without really 
being hands-on, it might take them a little while to get rolling on the defensive side of the ball. But I think overall it's going to be better. It's just hard to say with, without the prep that they're going to be able to get before the first game. Yeah, I mean, watching that Washington-USC game last year, it, it hurt me. Uh, former Washington commit flipped to USC, Marlon Tuipilotu, uh, looked really, really good. And, and uh, he's big, he's fast, and he just he moves offensive linemen out of the way. He's been, he's been a stud for USC. They got three, like uh, Brandon Peely, a uh, kid from uh, Alaska, and then Jay Tefele was out of Utah. That I did. He was a former five-star guy. Red, I think he redshirted the first year, and then people were like kind of writing him off. The three of those dudes, like big interior linemen, that have just been just. I, I think they can even be in a better position this year with the scheme that they're running. But they've been really helped. You know, USC's defense needed their production, and Marlin's like been one of those guys that you know you flip him at the last minute, and he comes in and makes a big difference. Sometimes you flip a guy. You know, school flips a guy, and it doesn't really matter. Like, he's the guy, like, you remember if you're, like, covered, like, oh, USC was recruiting that guy, and he goes somewhere else. I'll remember that. You're like, oh, that, see, that guy makes a difference. You know, like, Puka Nakua is a dude that, like, I really just loved watching him in, in high school, and then to see what he's able to do at Washington makes, you know, it makes a big difference. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen often that Washington loses a recruit, at least in the Peterson era. Uh, and that one definitely stuck out. And uh, I forgot that Nakua was a, a USC commit for a while, right? Yeah, he was for a while. I've covered him at the uh, of the uh, Polynesian Bowl out in Hawaii. And just when, you know, we, we get to cover these high school kids a lot, especially down here because a lot of them are down here. And he's just one of those guys, like, he just stood, stood out and wasn't always like – I think he was a four-star guy. I don't think he, he wasn't like a five-star dude, but sometimes he looked like one and you're like, yeah, when – when he, when he switched over, you're like, yeah, Washington's got a good one there. And he's, he's really good. Yeah. yeah. And he's kind of that step up in the, uh, in the receiver room that Washington desperately needs right now. He was like, um, his first catch was like a touchdown, right? Or something. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. That's always a good start. Um, so for, for USC, when it comes to um, success of this season, uh, what is their floor for them to be considered as a success? I mean, it's a really good question too. I think at this point without, I mean, if, if you're going to look at who had more to lose or who had, you know, like as far as out of conference games go, having Alabama and Notre Dame off your schedule. I mean, there's different ways you can look at it, but that's two, you could argue your two biggest games are gone. So that opens up – I mean, that that's one thing, like, well, you know, there's two losses you might not have. But it also is like, well, the expectations for the rest of your schedule are going to be uh, pretty high. You know, getting Washington at home. you, you got to go on the road and play Oregon, and they thumped you in the Coliseum last year. So, you know, there'd be – people are going to expect, you know, better games from that. Uh, but I think they definitely expected to win the Pac-12 South. They're going to be the favorites and could be – you know, they're, they'll probably be behind Oregon as far as favorites in the uh, – the overall Pac-12, but the fan base, I, I don't know what they would make them happy outside of like a playoff berth. You know, like they're really, if they go like, say we get the 10 game season, you know, schedule and they all get on a play. If it's like a seven and three, eight and two, and you still win the Pac-12 South, it's not going to excite anybody, you know, like they, cause you're like, well, if you had Notre Dame and, and Alabama on a schedule, that would have been four losses instead of, you know, 
or five losses. Um, so it depends. I, I feel like Clay Hilton, if you, you got to show that you can play to your talent level. And I think it's pretty clear that the most talented, at least in the South, win the South, you know, win all your games in the South. Don't let Cal, you know, team like Cal, that you know, would beat you a couple of years ago. Like now they, they're a sleeper of mine in the North, but um, you know, Chase Garbage, I think is, is great. But, you know, you lose to, like, Cal or you lose, like, Arizona State, which Arizona State's going to be really good this year. But USC should still be better than them, you know. Um, you know, you beat Washington at home. you got to beat Washington at home. Like, you got – you lost on the road last year. You get your quarterback back. Uh, and if you lose on the road to Oregon, fine. But the rest of the games, they're, they're going to be favored. I did an early study on that, you know, like a, a, a betting chart. And they're favored in all the rest of the games. So that's nine and one. Probably not going to go nine and one. But I think if you're – Short of nine and one, I think the fan base are going to be restless, and and I wouldn't blame them for being that. Yeah, I think I mean nine and one is definitely attainable. It, I, it, it's so funny thinking back to that 2017 Pac-12 championship, and you know the closest I can feel that I can relate to is 2018 for Washington, where they kind of backed into the championship game and they won it. Uh, and they got to go to the Rose Bowl, which was special. But that UCLA, that 2017 UCLA, maybe it was just because the South wasn't that good and they were the best of kind of a mediocre division. I, 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 I wasn't able to put my finger on why, but it definitely felt like, a, oh, yeah, this is where we should be, but maybe not super excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think as you win, you know, Chris Peterson comes in, you're winning at a high level, the expectations just go up, you know? And, and if you feel like there was underachieving in the previous couple of years, I think that only makes expectations go higher. It doesn't lower like, ah, oh, they're five and seven. We expect them to only go seven to five next year. Like, no, you expect them to like bounce back and, right. uh, and play even at a higher level. And when you look at like the recruiting rankings and all that stuff, like us, even with the bad class, the worst class I've ever seen, they still have, just oodles there's talent all over the place you know so i think that's where if you feel like you're playing you know at you know, if you look at a team like utah it looks like they overachieve a lot and they develop their players and i think that's been the big criticism that usc hasn't coached them up well haven't developed their players so i think that's why there's sort of this like you know extremely high expectation now people think about winning all the time because it p carroll or all the, the 70s or whatever like that's tradition plays a part of it but knowing if you if you felt like the team wasn't recruiting well and they weren't playing well, that's one thing. But if you felt like they've recruited as good as anybody and you're you're performing well below mo a lot of those teams you recruit better than, I think that's where the big issues come in. Yeah. Well, nobody has more pressure on them to win than USC. And, and nobody has more pressure than a USC uh, journalist. So we appreciate what you do. You got but, most of the eyes on you. It's, you know, to be honest, Trevor, it's not as hard because we have to come up with storylines, right? Like you're covering the team. You get like, if Chris Peterson love him, but you know, he's going to be a little boring at times. Like he's not, there's not going to be as many headlines for you to like, for USC, someone's always screwing up. There's always something you can write about. Like we, they make our jobs a little bit easier. Now, am I at dinner, like checking Twitter and stuff? Because what happened now? Or yes, you know, like that happens a lot, you know? Uh -huh. From Sark, you know, Sark, I think 
Washington kept him in check a little bit more. He had some crazy stuff going on at USC. I mean, he lasted, what, 16 games? Like, that's you not – good at covering uh, <laughs> So, there's, you know, Lane Kiffin. There's, there's been, you know, having these athletic directors that are, like, not experienced, and then they're screwing up, uh, hiring people like Clay Helton and fire – you know, he's fired, like, 13 assistants. There's always something, you know, going on. So it's the, at least it's not boring, and it does keep our jobs interesting. But, yes, it keeps us on our toes, too. And a couple of women's rowing stories everyone's going right? Oh, God, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, all that can, yeah. Yeah. Where can people uh, find you on social media, and where can they find your work? Yeah, so on Twitter is where I mostly do stuff, at Inside Troy. You can – Find me there, and then uscfootball.com. We have all our stuff there. The podcast of champions we put up there, and we, I do a USC one called the Parastyle Podcast that we've been doing since 2008, which is crazy. Like we, early on, we started doing a podcast. I'd never listened to podcasts, but we, LA radio is so professionally based. Like I would do, like Seattle would call me, and I would do like talk about USC on Seattle radio. LA didn't care, so I'm like, I'm going to do my own. So I started a podcast and. Uh, now I listen to podcasts, but before I didn't even know what they were, and I was just doing one. So, um, but it's good, you know. I I love them now, especially with all the commercials and stuff. You'd rather just listen to what you want to oh, listen yeah. to. Absolutely, yeah. Check out uh, Conference of Ch- uh, the Podcast of Champions. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones. You can find a lot of really good information about uh, any team you follow. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Trevor. Appreciate it.